0: You're listening to a Broadmoor podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh Brady preaches from Romans chapter 10 as we continue to progress through this rich book in Scripture. As we listen, may we be both encouraged and challenged by God's Word to us.: Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Romans 10? White family, great job. Elias, great job, buddy. Thank you so much. You did so good. I am so thankful that we get to gather together every single week and open God's word together to sing praises to our Father, to to, to fellowship with one another. And I pray that you receive blessing from that every time you come into this place. No doubt, we are called to, to live this out everywhere we go. But there is something special about the sacred gathering together of believers. Uh, it is something in which I believe God has designed, and we see it from, from Acts. When, when the Spirit lit the flame and the church of Christ was born, we see that it is both life-giving and life-receiving for those who come into A sacred gathering together and so i am praying today that we would experience that very thing that the lord would bless us and that we would be a blessing to those that are around us now as you are turning your way to romans chapter 10 uh, i want to remind you if you were here early and and you saw the pre-announcements you heard about fresh grounded faith that is our women's conference that is happening this coming weekend friday and saturday you don't want to miss this so here here's kind of what's going on right now uh, as, as we get ready, so far there are over 1,200 women who have bought their tickets and are planning to be in this very room starting Friday evening and then going to show back up Saturday morning to finish out that conference. There is still room for you, ladies, if you are looking for a place to receive the Word and find practical encouragement from it and ways that you can live it out. You don't want to miss this event. So this coming Friday and Saturday, don't miss it. You can go to Broadmoor's website and go to a. Fresh Grounded Faith, click on it. It'll take you to their website, Fresh Grounded Faith. You can purchase your ticket there and then show up on Friday, and it is going to be a fantastic time. Before we jump into the sermon today, though, I would love it if you would join me in praying for them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you just a couple of seconds of silence on my end, and you just go to the Father, and I want you to pray for a couple of things. Number one, would you pray for all the women who are going to be in this room on Friday and Saturday? Number two, would you pray for the speakers and the worship leader as they travel in? Pray the Lord would give grace to all airlines. Pray that the Lord would give grace to all bodies, that they remain healthy and sickness doesn't try to attack them as they move forward to this coming weekend. And then number three, would you pray for those who may be lost and may hear the gospel for the first time and respond in faith? So if you would, join me in praying for this incredible conference right now. oh father we do love you and we thank you for the opportunity to come to you at all times and all places and we thank you god that you care and love what we have to say to you what i'm also thankful and probably most thankful that you already know what we're going to say even before we thought to even say it And Lord, I thank you that that does not stop us from praying, but instead gives fuel to the fire of our prayer. So Lord, I pray for this event this coming weekend. I pray for the the countless women who will be here in this room and hearing the good news of the gospel, who will be hearing what it is like to to be a follower of Jesus Christ and what that looks like lived out every single day. So I pray for um, Jennifer and Lisa as they come in to lead I pray for the worship leader who is going to come and and lead and worship. And Lord, we ask that you give them traveling grace and we pray, God, that you would give favor to their bodies to, to not be sick. And we ask above all of these things that you receive all glory, all honor, and all praise. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, church family, as we jump into this chapter, this is an exciting time to join in because here's why. Last week I told you that, that as we look at the whole book of Romans, at this letter that Paul writes to the church at Rome, it's in three sections, really. Uh, And we we have this gospel-centered, gospel-saturated section of chapters 1 through 8. Kind of when we got to the end of chapter 8, it it kind of ended on that soaring note, which was absolutely incredible. And then whenever we get to chapter 12 throughout chapter 16, it is so good and rich because it is incredibly practical in how you live out chapters 1 through 8 in your everyday life. But we find ourselves last week, today, and next week, by if the Lord would allow it, in three chapters that seem a little bit different. Chapter 9, 10, and 11 of Romans are a little bit about. Israel and their history and who they were and and why they are who they are and and where they are today and and future Hope that is to come and what I want you to hear because even as we jump into it today You need this reminder when I use the word Israel particularly when you use the word Israel anywhere in the Bible We are not speaking about the landmass that is in the Middle East We are speaking about God's covenanted people That is going to become really important to you next Sunday as we journey into chapter 11, okay? But I want you to be aware. So if you are just jumping in, if today's day one at Broadmoor, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. I believe this chapter is pointing straight to Jesus Christ, and I can't wait to tell you about it. But I would encourage you to go back. Chapters 1 through 8 is the gospel what it is, how it is, what it does for us. And then when we get to, to chapters 12 through 16, we're going to see this incredible application to our life. But one last thing before we jump into chapter 10 today. Last week, chapter 9 told us clearly and beautifully about God's sovereignty. I told you on the front of the message last week, there were things that were going to be non-negotiables for us. And as we, we journeyed in, I pray that you nailed those things down. Number one. God is 100% sovereign. Number two, equally is true, man has free will to choose. God is sovereign, man has free will. You say, Josh, explain the two. Chapter nine, all about God's sovereignty. Chapter 10, all about man's free will and responsibility with the will given to them. With that being said, I would love for us to jump into this text today, okay? So Romans chapter 10, starting in verse one. The apostle Paul writes, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have the zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness and everyone who believes. Now, again, if you are just jumping into chapter 10, there's a lot of assumptions that are being made. So when you hear words like them or they... Who, who is the them and who is the they? It is the Jewish people that Paul is speaking about right here. Go back to chapter 9, and he begins that chapter the same way. And it is this with heartbreak. How could they have missed it? They are the most privileged and promised people of God. They received the word, they received the covenant, they received the, the prophets that have come. In many ways, they've seen all the miracles, and then when God provides the way to righteousness, a way back to himself, they completely miss it. And so, in reality, we get chapter 9 that builds this case for God's sovereignty, that even in his, un- like Paul's unbel- how can they miss it? What he would say is, I know God's doing something. I can trust that God is still good even if I can't make sense of what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. That should be comforting to us in this room today. But then we pick up in chapter 10 with kind of the question well, what do we do with the sovereignty of God in salvation? What 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 do we do with with people who don't know sovereignty of God because we're not God? We just know that He is, we don't know how it's fully unfolding. What are we supposed to do? Paul shows us in verse one, he prays, he desires, he begs God for them to be saved. If you've ever wondered what is your role, your first role, the very first thing that you do in evangelism, it is pray. You pray and you beg God that he would save those whom you love, that he would draw them to himself. And this is what he says, man, I bear witness that they have a zeal for God. They're excited about God. This is is good stuff. The Jews were, were really sincere in their excitement. They were sincere in their passion. But listen to me, church, this is important. Sincerity does not save you. Christ saves that's a big deal. That's a big deal where we live because, listen to me, we live in a culture that's going to say, if, you're just, if you just mean it, if you're just really sincere, then God is probably going to bless you in some way. What, what we're learning here is the Jews, of all people, were the most sincere in their faith. Their faith wasn't in Christ. Their faith, as we're going to see, was in themselves. Paul gives them and us a very clear picture of the gospel, The good news of Jesus Jesus Christ, and here's what he says about it, that Christ is the end of the law. That if we look back and we see how God gave Moses the law and Moses gives it to God's people and they have seen it for generation after generation after generation, their thought was they can fix it. They can fix themselves through the law. That they, they could take all the things that God said do and they would do it. And then they would say that all the things that God said, stay away from, we can stay away from those things. So much so that if you go to the New Testament and you see how the Pharisees ordered their life, they actually built a whole nother law around the law of God. So they wouldn't even get close to breaking God's law. They thought they could do it in and of themselves. So at the end of their law, guess who's sitting on the throne? Them. Them. I did this, I I, I did these things, I stayed away from these things. What Paul says, the only person that sits at the end of the fulfilled law is Christ. That's good news for us, but that is news that we desperately need and need to anchor inside of our hearts. So here's a question. Who can that fulfilled law and that completed righteousness apply to? If at the end of it, if, if, if zealousness isn't enough, if sincerity of trying hard to be better isn't enough, and Christ is at the end, and he's the only way that this righteousness can be applied, who can receive it? Who can it be applied to? Everyone who believes is what Paul says. See, but the Jews missed it, and their excitement to climb the ladder of success by obeying the law in their own strength, because they had a love for God, They completely missed it. They missed Jesus. Verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. In the ESV, it's kind of a a hard sentence to, to hear and to make sense of. Here's maybe a different way to hear it. Moses told him that if you want to have fulfillment of the law applied to you, you must be perfect. But if you break any part, any of the smallest bits of the law, then you've broken the whole law. That's what he's saying to him in verse five. You believe that it is enough to fulfill the law. Great. If you fulfill it, you're righteous. But if you break even the first and smallest bit of the law, then it is absolutely broken. Verse six goes on to say, but the righteousness based on faith says, and then he gives this quote. Here's what he says. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is, who will bring Christ down? Or who will descend to the abyss that is to to bring Christ up from the dead? So, So here he explains that faith in Christ is different than works for God. A life lived in faith has no need to ascend into heaven and bring God down, and a life lived in faith has no need to descend into the abyss to bring life, uh, to bring Christ up. Here's the point that he's trying to make. Of all the works that you could do to make yourself righteous, it wouldn't even be enough if you could ascend into heaven to bring Christ down yourself or go into the abyss and bring Christ up. You would still not be good enough. Your works would still be inadequate. He says, but a true and saving faith cannot be made, cannot be earned, and it cannot be lobbied for. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near to you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the, the word of faith that we proclaim because, here's a verse that you probably all well know. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. That's great news. We don't have to go looking for Christ. You don't have to go into heaven or go down to the abyss. Why? Because Christ is here right now and today. And if he's here, what do we need to do to be saved? This is a big one, okay? Because this would change depending on really what ecumenical background you come from, what church background you come from. Because we all like to put our spin on this. And I would even say Baptists like to put our spin on this. The gospel is simple and profound and powerful. And all too often we try to make it harder than it really is. So what does Paul write? If it's not as hard as going into heaven and bringing Christ down. If it's not as hard as going down to the abyss and trying to to bring Christ up, to raise the dead, as it were. And he says, but it's right here. It's in your mouth and it's on your heart. What must must we do to be saved? He says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Um, If you're Baptist, grew up Baptist, you, you didn't grow up with creeds, um, we, we probably had things that we look to, and if you've studied uh, kind of church history, maybe you've looked to creeds. Um, but if you came from a different ecumenical background, maybe maybe Presbyterian, maybe Episcopal, maybe, maybe Lutheran, maybe you grew up with the creeds, maybe, maybe you know a lot about the Apostles' Creed. This is the very first creed that we see in the New Testament. This, this would be the thing that all believers would say when they gathered together. How do you know you belong? It wouldn't be by how you dressed. It wouldn't be by what you drove or where you lived or what you ate. It would be whether you believe that Christ was Lord or not. And that's still true today. But all too often, we try to separate by all the other things. And this is the creed of Christianity. Paul says that for salvation, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Secondly, but it's still the same thing. I'll explain that in just a second. That we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. All right, so inward belief and outward confession are not two things, one and two, that must be done as if you were ticking off boxes. But they are one thing united together. And when this is your confession, when this is your belief, you will know salvation has come. This is going to be a pretty big paradigm shift, so hang on, okay? Confession without belief is not true faith. Belief without confession is not true faith. So how does this functionally work? Look at verse 10. For with the, with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one, is, one confesses and is saved. So an inward belief and an outward confession are the things that prove salvation. This understanding should change the narrative. Listen to me very closely, Broadmoor. Please don't miss this. This should change the narrative from did you believe and confess to do you believe and confess? What do you mean by that, Josh? The early church knows nothing of someone who would say, well, I am a Christian at 40 because when I was eight, I said these words. The church would say you were a Christian because today you confess faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's a, that's a big question that we begin to ask ourselves this morning. Is our faith dependent upon something we did when we were five six seven and eight or is it something that we know to be true because it's what we confess and live out today this is a big deal because i believe i believe with all that i am you could have made an emotional decision when you were younger and it be nothing but emotional Paul says, look, what, what is proof of salvation? What is proof of God's grace extended to you? A changed life is a constant and living in and in a, in a reality of Christ is Lord and I believe him to be so. So where do you fall today? So many times we get caught up in the how things work and we neglect the why. Why are we saved? What are we saved from? What are we being saved to? Well, according to Romans, as we've looked back over all of the chapters so far, we are saved from God's wrath. Well, many of us, if you're not careful and you you don't necessarily uh, know know the Bible, uh, it, it would be thought of that you are saved from hell. Now, listen to me. Hell is a very real place. And the only people who go there are people who have rejected the grace of Jesus Christ but it is God's wrath that sends you there. We are saved from God's wrath and we are saved to Christ and his glory that will be shared with us one day. So we've gotta understand what biblical salvation is, what it is doing. There is wrath coming towards us for the sin that we do in the sinful nature that we exist in. And so God in his grace takes that sin nature and changes it and gives us a new heart and a new nature where one time we wanted to sin, we desired it more than anything else, and now we desire to love Christ and to make him known. That's the heart of the believer. So the question may come up, because I think this is a good question for good Baptists, right? Here, here it is. Does the order matter? Because I, I want to make sure I'm in. I wanna, if it's confession and belief, which one needs to come first? Because I want to make sure I'm not surprised on the last day. Good question. Verse 9 tells us confession and then belief. Verse 10 tells us it's belief then confession. So what is it? They're the same thing. They're the same thing. It's it's one coin, two sides. But it's the same thing. Got it, okay? Verses 9 and 10 give us a clear understanding of how salvation works. But but who can receive it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's Here's what Paul says. Look at verse 11. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him, will not be put to shame. So the same quote here that, that you see in verse 11 is, is the same quote quoted in chapter nine, verse 33, and it comes from Isaiah twenty eight sixteen. The answer to the question, who can receive salvation? Isaiah says, if you went back to 28, he says, whomever believes in the cornerstone that God has established, they will not be put to shame. Paul says, everyone who believes in the Christ will not be put to shame. So wait, are you sure? Is salvation really open to whoever and everyone? If you need more clarification, look at verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So there is no distinction, no separation between Jew and Greek. And here we would understand it as Jew and Gentile. Not because they're not different. Not because they don't have different experiences. They do. But because Christ is the same Lord, and he's the Lord over all. Now, again, talking about paradigm shifts, thinking shifts that we need to understand. This can be huge for us if we allow it to be. And it needs to be huge for us. The focus of salvation should not and is not, according to the Bible, on the saved it's not on the jew it's not on the gentile the focus of salvation should be and is biblically on the savior so there's too many times that we look and say well this group can be saved but this group can't this person can be saved because of their experiences but this person can't because of their experiences that is putting the the person who is being saved first that's not biblical paul says there's no distinction this group religious dead this group not religious dead both equally need to be saved you can try to paint this one up and make it pretty but it's still just as dead as this one and so our focus isn't on who's a better dead person our focus is on who is the savior who calls us to life So when we understand salvation, biblical salvation, the glory doesn't go to us. Oh, look what we did. We were dead, but now we're alive. Yay, us. No, praise be to God. We were dead, but now alive. No one is saved because of who they are and what they've done. Anyone that is saved is saved only because their savior is great. Christ gives his riches to all, what it says here, who call on him speaking clearly and directly to anyone but especially the jews paul paul quotes here out of the prophet joel joel chapter 2 verse 33 and it's an amazingly hope-filled prophecy that 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 there's a coming day and here's the quote in verse 13 everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved now if you went to joel and you were a jew that's going to cause some discomfort here's why great news we have a wonderful savior When your heart is broken over your sinful state, he is bringing salvation. When you realize that there's absolutely nothing that you can do to fix you, and we call on Jesus, we see him as the Christ and we put our hope in him. In that, in him, in Christ, we find our salvation. Salvation from God's wrath that is meant for our sin and salvation to Christ and his coming glory. That is the great news for the people who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the good news for those who have confessed that he is the Lord and believe in him because it's in that that they have salvation. But what about the people who have not heard about Jesus? What happens to them? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 14 and buckle up. We're about to fly. You ready? Here we go. How then can they call on on him on whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. All right, there is, this is another one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. It is a clear call to evangelism, to tell the good news through proclamation. The Bible knows nothing of living out your faith and if necessary using words it is necessary to use your words to live out your faith I want to be clear on that you could be a nice person there's a lot of nice people who don't know christ how will they know that you belong to him by the way you confess his name do you believe him to be the christ then we live that out and we tell the whole world The aim of God is for the lost to be found. But here's what he says. How can the lost call on Christ to be saved if they've not believed in Christ? How can they believe in Christ if they've never heard about Christ? How can they hear about Christ if no one's ever preached to them or told them about Christ? How can someone preach about Christ if they're not sent? Here is the progression of evangelism that Paul lays out. There's a preacher, a teacher, and a teller who's going to go and preach and teach and tell about Jesus Christ in a way that is going to give an opportunity to respond to faith in Christ by calling on the name of Christ for salvation. Church, please, please understand this. This should stop us in our tracks because here's why the preacher, the teacher, and the teller is not somebody else, it's you. I may be the preacher of Broadmoor, but you are the teachers and the tellers of the good news to everyone you come in contact with, starting with your family and to the ends of the earth. And if you aren't doing what you are called to do, how will they know? Now, when we see in the sovereignty of God, God is going to to elect and he is going to save, you don't know who that is. So, what is your job? What is your responsibility in the sovereignty of God? Your job is to go. The way I understand sovereignty and election and evangelism, evangelism and the sovereignty of God. If you go, we talked about it on the podcast this week, J.I. Packer's book, incredible. Many of you guys are outdoorsmen, outdoors women. You like to hunt and fish. I like hunting in Madison County. Here's why compared to, to Pearl River County. Pearl River County, you can hunt deer all season long and you ain't going to see a squirrel. They ain't a deer in, there's not a deer south of Hattiesburg. You come to Madison County, man, they are just like birds flying in the air. You got to slow down because even though you don't see them, there's 15 on the the roadside. I like hunting here because I know I'm going to get some game. I love the idea of the sovereignty of God and election and evangelism because here it is. God has called us to be fishers of men. If God is sovereign and he elects and he saves, we know the pond is always ready to be fished. The question is, are you going to fish it? Are you going to go put the work in that God's called you to? We know there's going to be success because God has already preordained it. But what's stopping us? What's causing us not to join Jesus in his mission? So we hear this. We we get this amazing promise that that those who do this, these tellers and these preachers who go and do, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So, So fantastic. We have a mission before us, and now we have a plan to fulfill it if we follow Paul's model. If we preach, if we send, If they hear and call, then they're going to be saved. Sounds great. Let's go. But didn't the Jews hear? Didn't someone go to them and and tell? What happened? Why aren't they following the plan? Don't they know what Paul just said? Look at verses 16 and 17 and 18. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, and he quotes here again, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Paul answers, indeed, they have. Quotes again, for their their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. So Paul says, absolutely, they've heard. All right, so they've heard, but maybe they don't understand. Look at verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? No, they understood. They just rejected the preaching. They rejected the Christ that the preaching was about. But God was relentless, and listen to me, is relentless towards Israel, towards his chosen people. Watch what God does. First, Moses says, I will make you, that's the Jew, jealous of those who are not a nation make you jealous with a foolish nation and I will make you angry. So God is going to stir the affections of those who have rejected him by calling a foolish nation to himself. Guess who the foolish nation is? The Gentiles. Guess who are Gentiles? Us. Now, you may not like how that sounds, You may not sit here today, or you may be sitting here today thinking, wait, wait, God's plan was for for the Jew first, and then for the Gentile. Yeah, we've already covered that. That was earlier on in Romans. But I don't like the way Paul says it, because what he says here is he has a favorite people in the Jews. That's true. But he brings in a not their nation, the Gentiles, and brings them in to be a part of their own. But what you're going to see when we get to chapter 11, they're not a second-rate nation now. They're not a second-rate people. They are a people who now have been brought into the bloodline of Christ. They've been grafted in. I can't wait to share that with you next week. But since we are woefully out of time, let's go to verse 20. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say about the Gentiles, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. So again, the quote here is from Isaiah 65. God will literally save them without them doing anything. They will not be looking for him. They will not be asking for him. This is extreme grace that we see. Now, God is coming to them, and he is pursuing them. This is a beautiful expression of God's love for the people that he created. God did all of this for the Gentiles. But what about the Jews? All of this is in the same way that God loved and cared for Israel. And what was their response? God pursued them. They didn't have to go to heaven and call it down. They didn't have to go to the depths of the earth and bring it up. It was there. It was with them. They just needed to confess it and believe it. Verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to the disobedient and the contrary people. So worship team comes back up and we move to a time of prayer and decision. In reading this, you may get a sense that God is angry at his covenanted people with Israel, and he's turned his back on them. That's not true. Verse 21 is quoting Isaiah 65, where the first quote in verse 20 came from verse 1. This comes from verse 2 of Isaiah 65. And it makes crystal clear that God loves his people. And his desire... Is for his people to love him back. To walk in the way that he has planned for them. Because that way, God's way is good and it is blessed. There's so much from this chapter. We could have stopped many times and just sat there and just talked. But I want to be clear that, that in all the things that is going on in your life right now, God is doing something, something beautiful something grand and something eternal. And those things are Him loving you, Him pursuing you and extending grace towards you. I know there are a lot of people in this room and watching right now, you love the Lord and you're walking with Him and your relationship with Him is beautiful. Beautiful. It is life-giving to you. You can't wait to walk with him because it's an adventure. It really is. You don't know where the day's going to lead. You just know it's going to be good because he leads you. That's awesome. Praise God for that. But there are other people in this room that you are way, way, way religious, but you know nothing of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you look around and you feel like that your religion should some way have bought you favor with God. God, and and all the giving that I've done, and all the church attendance I've been a part of, and all the good that I've tried to do, shouldn't you give me something good? Why does my life feel like it's falling apart? If I could encourage you with this, that in the chaos that you experience, it is God's grace extended to you to draw you to him. It's the good news of the gospel. So if you are here today and you don't know what to do, you realize very clearly this morning that you are a lot like these Jews that Paul is speaking towards and his heart breaks for. Why don't they come? What is it that stops them from coming to Christ and seeing him as the Lord? That would be a great question for you to consider this morning. We know and we've learned the hard way That we cannot fill, fulfill the law on our own or in our own strength. You can't try hard enough, it's not going to work. You can't be good enough, you're not good enough. So we have two choices to make before we leave out of this room this morning. Number one, we can act like we have it all together. Like everything's okay, like we are enough. Which is not true. And you know it. Or you can put your hope and trust in Christ confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved today and every day don't hear me saying that you need to be saved every day that's not what I'm saying if you are saved, you are saved once forever but the expression of our faith is lived out brand new every single day where we wake up and we confess again that Jesus is Lord. When the early church gathered, they would do these confessions to stir their hearts together. And it would be the same thing, week in, week out, day in, day out. Just in case we forgot what Christianity is about, it's about Jesus being Lord. So, in our response time this morning, what are you gonna do with that confession? What are you going to do with that creed? Will you join in with the eternity of believers and say in your heart and with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and live like that's true? Or go on about your life. Act like you're good. Everything's okay. I'm enough for me. The choice is yours today. Church family, would you pray with me? Father, I love you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for our time together this morning. I pray for the response, not just in the next four minutes as we sing a song, but the response that we live out every day. This confession, this creed, this truth that unites us all. No matter who we are, where we came from, no matter who our parents were, no matter what our background is, we come today and we are united by one thing and it is Christ as our Lord. And we confess that as believers across this room, Christ, you are the Lord. And we believe that God raised you from the dead and you sit at his right hand in glory and in power. And so I pray with that truth that our lives are markedly different than those who don't believe that to be true. We don't live for today and we don't live for this world. We live for our king and the world that's to come. We know that he has conquered hell, death, and the grave. And so we fear nothing and we fear no one. And we walk in victory as we advance the kingdom. Let that be our heart's beat and our cry as we engage this world. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your powerful name that we pray. And we now stand and respond. Church. Would you stand with me?